We are in Genesis 3. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, Genesis 3 is an awful passage to read. Genesis 3 is where we have the fall, the thing that has affected and plagued humankind since the beginning of human existence. Fall didn't just impact humankind, it also affected the planet around us. There's a reason that the, every time the, the earth groans, you've got tsunamis and tornadoes and, and uh, earthquakes. In Romans chapter 1, it says that the sin that we invited into the world had repercussions that rippled throughout all of creation. And because of that sin, all of creation is affected and we are as well. And someday we'll be affected to the extreme where sin, the consequences of sin, will even take our own lives. If it weren't for sin, if sin wasn't here, we, know, we, we wouldn't die. Death is not a part of life, don't ever buy that. God is life, God created us in his image. We are meant to enjoy life forever, but sin entered the world and so death came because of sin and death passed to all people because all have sinned. And so we're in Genesis 3 where we find out about all of how this occurred. And what I wanna do today is I wanna talk to you a little bit about how the journey goes. I've been lost once in my life. I mean really lost to the point where I thought I was gonna die. I was in the woods and uh, I was real young. Uh, my brother and I had a spat uh, while we were in the woods. I thought uh, home was in this direction and he thought home was in that direction and we split up and it was snowing and I walked further away from the house and Chris walked, my brother walked right toward the house. And I walked and walked and walked and eventually I realized that I wasn't going in the right direction and because of the snow I turned around and all of my footprints had been filled up. And I couldn't find my way back. That was a terrifying situation. I obviously found my way back. <laughs> but that was a terrifying situation. That was the only time I was really lost once in my life until we came up with an incredible invention called Siri. And now I have been lost multiple times <laughs> in my life. I asked Siri what direction to go, and she continually tells me the wrong direction. I remember once I was in Florida, and I was going to a conference. I was late, and uh, I was trying to get, get there, and so I wanted to you know, follow Siri and hopefully get there in the fastest way possible. She took me down a highway, and I thought, this is kind of odd that we're going down this weird highway here. And then she, uh, she said, all right, now pull off the highway here, so I pulled off the highway there, obeying Siri to the letter. I pull off the highway, take a left here, take a right here, take a left here, take a right here, and we are in the middle of no man's land. It got to the point where I thought, Siri is incredibly you know, ridiculous and wrong. She must be wrong. So then I started looking for the signs, right? But I was so far out of civilization that the only signs I ever saw on the side of the road had bullet gunshot through, through them. You could barely read them because uh, the, the, uh, the people in Florida had obviously used them for target practice. I followed her to the end of this one particular field and then she said, now turn left, your destination's on your left. And I turned left, and there is nothing there. I'm looking for a big building, lots of cars, lots of conference people around, you know. There is nothing there but an empty field. So now I start to panic because I am really, really late. So I revert back to what I know works. I called a friend, you know. And uh, you remember that old-fashioned way we used to do things? Can you just please give me directions instead of relying on Siri? So I, on the way back, I was, I was following uh, the directions and I realized how messed up I had become because I was faithfully following Siri. I was not looking for the right signpost and even if I did find the signpost, it wouldn't have meant, meant, mattered any at all because I was so far off track. Siri was giving me these breadcrumbs that I was followed until I arrived at the destination. When I got there, I looked up and I was definitely not anywhere I wanted to be. In Genesis 3, we have two individuals, Adam and Eve, to only two individuals on the planet. And Adam and Eve were not created perfect, they were created innocent. Which means that they didn't understand temptation. They didn't understand what it was to be pulled away from what God wanted them to do. They didn't understand how their curiosity could get them into trouble. Satan comes along in the form of a serpent, we're gonna read about this in just a minute, and starts laying down breadcrumbs. 
for Eve to follow, and she follows them. And the breadcrumbs that he lays down is in a conversation that he has with Eve. And throughout the conversation, he lays these breadcrumbs down, and Eve obediently follows these breadcrumbs until Satan gets her where he needs her to be. The breadcrumbs he lays down are questions like, are you sure you heard what you think you heard God say? Did you really understand God correctly when he said it? Do you think God could be holding something back from you in that kind of a command? And the questions that Satan asked Eve piqued her curiosity. Breadcrumbs that led her down a path she was not prepared to go down. And obediently she follows the breadcrumbs until she finds herself way off course. I wanna tell you, nothing has changed for us. That first ploy that Satan did with Eve is the same thing that he does with us. It worked the first time, and it works even for us today. It piqued Eve's curiosity, and it piques ours as well. Satan can get to a lot of us, and especially getting to our children, by poking at our curious nature. But the line that we cross is definite when we stop being curious and we start being rebellious. And sometimes the consequences we are left with are very difficult to live with. So today I want to talk to you about the best way to shut that process down. If you're listening to the lies of the devil, which a lot of us do, sometimes that's what we're most used to. There comes a point of time when you need to shut the process down. Because if you go too far down the road following the breadcrumbs, the questions, the curiosity, whatever Satan lays out there for you to follow, there comes a point where it becomes very difficult to turn around. And so God puts up, I believe, signposts to keep us from going down the wrong roads. These, sign pro, these signposts are proof of God's grace. The first thing I want you to know, plain and simple, number one, Satan is a crafty liar. He's not only a liar, he's crafty. He's good at it. He's really good at what he does. He started a long time ago and he has lied to a lot of people through human history. And he will lie to you so much better than he did even with Eve. He's had a lot of practice. Here's how he did it with Eve. Verse one, now the serpent was more, what's the next word, church? Crafty. The serpent was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Signpost number one. Here it is. This is what God erects for us and shows us all the way through scripture. And it may seem like Sunday school to you, but it's really, really important you see this first signpost because it says you do have an enemy. Somebody once said the greatest victory that Satan ever pulled off was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Because if you don't know you have an enemy, you're messed up. You're bound for destruction. You're out there in the battlefield unprepared, and he is well prepared. More people these days scoff more and more at the idea that there is a devil. Do you wanna know why I believe Satan exists? Here's why I believe. And you might be here this morning going, Craig, that's a little old fashioned. All right, let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus was crazy? You probably would go, no, but I'm not sure I believe Satan exists. Well, here's some things you need to know about Jesus because if he was not crazy, he did some things with Satan, to Satan, and about Satan that you need to know about. One, the Bible that he gives us talks about Satan continually from beginning to end. From Genesis to Revelation, Satan is pointed out here, here, here. And in Revelation, he's busy. He's busy all the way through scripture. Number two, God talks to Satan in the book of Job. Literally, Satan comes before God and they have a conversation. Number three, Jesus talked to Satan. Where did he talk to Satan? You know this story? 
in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days after he hasn't eaten anything. Satan shows up and Jesus carries on a conversation with Satan. Now, if you don't think Satan is real, you have to believe Jesus is nuts. See how that goes? Otherwise, who is he talking to? Jesus talked to Satan in the wilderness. Not only that, Jesus warned about Satan all the time. He said, your father the devil. He said, watch out for the evil one. He's constantly talking about Satan. He's warning all of us to be careful about Satan. And the church is warned about Satan on a regular basis, even after Jesus ascends back into heaven. Here's one verse I love, Ephesians 6, 11. Let's say it together, it's so good. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you know what it means for somebody to not like you? You probably know that, right? But what if somebody didn't like you so much they actually went home, sat down at their kitchen table, got a, a pad and a paper out, and thought of different ways to destroy you? How much would they hate you then? Right? What if they were at home scheming ways to make your life miserable? Well, you need to know the Bible says Satan literally is scheming against you. He just doesn't like you. That's not the point. He, he doesn't like you at all. He wants to destroy you, and he is at home, wherever that is, he is somewhere scheming and plotting to make your life destroyed. All right? So the Bible is very clear that there is a devil. He is alive and well. And just because you don't see stuff doesn't mean that stuff doesn't exist. Have you ever seen gravity? No. Go step off the building. All right. Now there are some questions here. Like, did the snake talk? How can a snake talk? I've never seen that. Neither have I. It's a good question. Or was it crawling around on feet because the curse meant it had to go around on its belly. I don't know. I don't know. Or was it really like a snake that we know today, or was it like a big elephant or giraffe or something like that? Maybe it was really big. I don't know. There are a lot of questions that we are not told about how this first encounter went. All we're told is you, 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 and me, you have an enemy. And he is daily scheming how to destroy your life. Number two, signpost number two. Your enemy will use your questioning nature against you. How many of you are curious about things? I'm curious about things, right? Curious like how this works, how that works. I'm curious to know how Pastor Tim got into that tight suit that he was walking around in. I'm curious about that. I don't want to see the process, but I'm curious about it. Every one of us has this curious nature, and we have this nature because we are made in the image of God. Creation does not have a curious nature. They do what they do. Fish swim, birds fly. That's the sun rises and sets. It's just what happens. But we being in the image of God, we have a curious nature. Satan will use that against you. He did with Eve, and he will do it with you. He'll make you go home and say, mm, I wonder what it's like to smoke a joint. I wonder what it's like to shoot up. I wonder what it's like to hang out with my friends. I wonder what it's like to get drunk. I wonder what it's like to lose control. I wonder what it's like to steal a car. I wonder what it's like to have an abortion. I wonder what it's like to have sex outside of marriage. See, we all have this curious nature. And yet, all of those things are spoken about in Scripture, believe it or not. But we're curious because we're made in the image of God. Satan will take that curious nature and use it against us. Here's what he did with, Satan, with uh, Eve. Satan did with Eve. And he said to her, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any tree of the fruit of the garden in the, in the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. One of the ways that Satan will get to our curiosity and pick it apart off of us like a scab until it bleeds is that he will use questions to lead us down a road until we get too far that coming home seems really difficult. Questions are how the devil begins to get us down this path of doubt. 
Satan is an exceptionally good liar. In Jesus' day, he was approached by a group of people who thought that they were on the right path. They constantly taught about, about God. They were sons of Abraham. They were Jews. They were self-proclaimed teachers of the law. Everybody followed them, and everybody thought, they, they were like pastors today. You might want to think of it like that. Everybody listened to them. Everybody followed their teaching. Everybody figured they knew what they were talking about. But they would not believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Wouldn't believe it. They refused to believe it. And they taught other people it's rubbish. They would teach other people that Jesus is not God. No, he's off his rocker. He's not God. He's a good fellow, but he's not God. So Jesus comes to them, and he pulls no punches when he talks to them. What he says to them is, you are of your father who's their father. How would you like for Jesus to say you are of your father the devil? That's rough, right? But because they were teaching other people that Jesus was not God incarnate, Jesus said to them, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar, and he is the father of all lies. You should know that in John 8, it goes on to say that if you don't believe that Jesus is God incarnate, you are not only doing the bidding of your father, the devil, you are a part of your father, the devil. You are a son of your father, the devil. So how serious does Jesus take this fact that he was made in the... He was a God incarnate. We'll get more to that in just a minute. But questions, these questions are how the devil begins to take us down this path and begins to put doubts into our mind. And sometimes the questions that we have reveal that we have dissatisfied hearts down deep inside. Let me ask you this question. Did Eve answer the devil accurately? She did not. Here's, here's how we know in Genesis 3.3, this is where God speaks to Adam, and he says, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the tree in the midst of the garden. Uh, I'm sorry, in Genesis 2.17, back up one, bottom verse. God says to Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. When Satan comes to Eve and says, what did God say about this? Eve says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. What'd she get wrong? What'd she get wrong? Yeah, she added to it. Why did she add to it? I, for the life of me, I sat there with Michael and we debated over and over, why would she add to it? And so I came up with an analogy. You don't have to like this analogy, it's just a thought that I had. If I leave my kid in the car and I say, I'm gonna go into this building for just a minute, I'll be right out. Don't turn on the car. I'm leaving my keys here. I run into the building, I'm in there. My kid's in the car. I, she's not happy, she's in the car. I'm not pulling out any one particular kid. I'm just saying, well, <laughs> let's say I have a kid that has a rebellious nature. Not that I have one, but let's just say that I do. So she's sitting in the car, she's, she's singing to herself, I wanna listen to music. Her friend gets in the car with her. It says, hey, you're sitting in the car all by yourself. Hey, come on, let's play around, let's play on the desk, let's turn on some music. She said, so she hits her hand away, her friend's hand away, and she said, no, my dad said, I have to sit here and I have to wait for him, and I can't turn on the car, and I can't play with the radio, and I can't touch the seats, and I can't play on the, roll around on the dash, and I can't, you know, did, did her dad say any of that? No, her dad just said, don't turn on the car. Why would she add to it? Not like you've ever experienced this before, but let's pretend you don't have kids like I have, all right? Why would my kid add something? Why do you think that would happen? Yeah, she probably wasn't happy with what I told her to do, right? That could be why she added to it. I'm not sure, but I like that explanation personally because I understand it. It reveals something about my heart about what God has commanded me. Because I want to tell you, there's some things that God commands me to do in scripture, I'm not sure I'm really happy with. And if I had my own way, I might choose some, something different. But 
in faith, I believe that God's ways are better than mine. Satan will also use questions to keep you away from a deep faith in God. Questions can be used as missiles from the evil one. And he will sometimes put you, you go through tough times and you'll come up with questions and those questions, instead of driving you to God, will drive you away from God. Questions like, why would God do this to me? Why would God allow this in my life? Why is God so unfair? Why would God do better things to other people and not to me? See, see how those questions begin to drive us not closer to God in our pain, but further away from God by questioning him and revealing a deeper issue that I have, namely that I may not be too happy with him. Questions are great things. They, they are curiosity put to life, but they can be the very things that Satan uses as missiles to get us to go away from God. I know some people in my life that I've talked to that have so many questions about God's existence that they cannot ever give their lives to Jesus. Their questions have become their idols. And instead of surrendering their questions about how could Jesus be God incarnate, instead of accepting that by faith, they allow their reasoning and their questions to step in and drive them away from God instead of surrendering those questions to him. I can't answer any, every theological question that you have. I can give you some good ideas, but I can't give you every theological question answered. But where I stop, I simply say, this is what God says in scripture, and this is what I believe. We surrender those questions instead of allowing them to become missiles that take us away from God. Signpost number three, your enemy knows manipulation tactics really, really well. And he knows your weakness. He has seen you many, many times before. You think you're so unique, right? There's no one like me in the world. <laughs> ah, he knows you better than you know yourself. He's seen you already many, many times. There's been other people just like you. He knows manipulation and he knows your weakness. Here's what he did with Eve, verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that true or false? It's a little bit of true though, isn't it? It's a little bit of true. Here's the progression of lies that Satan will take us down. You ready for this? This is, this is borderline brilliant, all right? This is like maybe book worthy. So if you steal it and make a book, I'll expect some, uh, some what do you get? What do you get? Royalties along the way, here we go. Number one, by the way, Michael came up with this, not me, so here you go. Actually, it was a joint effort. Step one, Satan will always begin with a misleading lie. What was a misleading lie that he used with Eve? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's the misleading lie. Are you sure you're not supposed to eat of any tree in the garden? No, no, no. Her answer would have been, no, 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 any tree in the garden. Just not that one, right? So he begins to lead her down to begin to question her knowledge. Like, did God say any tree in the garden? This is innocent contemplation. Basically, this is where I say, what do I really believe about what God said? What do I really believe about this thing? And this is, by the way, where you get off the ride fastest. If you ever go to a roller coaster and you sit there and they buckle you in and everything, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to do this. I stood in line. I saw all these people screaming and vomiting before I got on this thing. I am not going on this thing, right? You've got like a three-second window to start screaming and ask them to unbuckle you so you can get off the ride. This is where you get off the ride. Once you start on the ride Satan has for you, he has a plan for you, he has a path for you, he is scheming a whole life role for you to play. And once that thing goes, have fun, you're on your way. This is where you get off the ride. This is where you get off the ride the easiest. This is where Joseph killed temptation. Remember the story of Joseph? You don't know the story of Joseph? 
Joseph had 11 brothers, didn't like him a whole lot, right? Joseph was not the most tactful person in the world. He had some really crazy dreams that showed that he was going to be up here and they were going to be down here. He told them they didn't like him. Plus, he was from another mom and his dad liked him the most, gave him a, a coat that showed that he was better than the others. All right, it's a bad family scenario from beginning to end, all right? So was there a favorite in Joseph's family? Yup, it was Joseph. And who told the other kids who was a favorite all the time? Joseph did, not a smart guy, right? So Joseph's wearing this coat around and, and, and it, it doesn't pay off, right? His brothers sell him into slavery to the, the bunch of Ishmaelites and he ends up in, in Egypt and nobody knows him and he's on his own and he gets sold on a slave block and he ends up working at Potiphar's house. Now Potiphar was very important in Egypt and Potiphar had a good looking wife, all right? So Joseph ends up in the house with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's out working. Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and he is not bad looking. So Potiphar's wife decides she would like to be with them for a while, to have a role with Joseph. Joseph gets hit on by Potiphar's wife, the Bible says, constantly. And he rebukes her, and he sends her back, and he pushes her back. Well, sometimes that doesn't work very well when you reject advances from somebody else. And so she finally had enough. And so she decided this time when she came on him, she'd hold on to him so he wouldn't run away. So she did. And he wiggled out of the robe and he runs away with just his loincloth on. He's running down the street. No, no, no. But you know what he says before he runs away? This is where he gets off the ride. He talks about her husband. And he said, Potiphar is not greater in this, uh, uh, in this house than... Uh, he's not greater in this house than I am. Oh, yeah, Potiphar's not greater in this house than I am. In other words, Potiphar had given him a lot of responsibility, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, lady. You belong to him because you're his wife. Read the next sentence for me. How then, read it with me, can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Don't you love that? Get me off the ride. Unbuckle this. I am not going down this road. This is where you get off Easiest, fastest, best. He reminded who she belonged to and then he reminded her who he belonged to. Joseph was set in his heart before the temptation would occur. And brothers and sisters and children, I speak to you that if you are not set in your heart on where you stand and what is truth, you will ride the roller coaster, and if you want to get off halfway through, it's a long way down. But if you get off before the ride starts, oh, so much easier. Joseph determined in his heart that he was not going to sin against God. If you don't kill Temptation Hill here, you'll likely fall against the evil one. This is where you submit to what God says in faith you resist the devil, and what will the devil do? Oh, there's another verse. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. What does that mean? Stand on what you know to be right. This is what God says, this is where I stand. I am immovable. Submit yourselves therefore to God, and if you do that, you will resist the devil, and what will the devil do? He will flee, love it, he will flee. If you don't get off the ride and you begin to crank, 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 start going on the ride, here's the second step you'll hit. The doubting lie. And the doubting lie is, are you sure God said what you think that God said? Did God actually say? In other words, these are like sinister questions that the devil will start asking you. Are you sure that what you believe is actually true? Are you positive it applies in every situation? These questions are designed to trick you, to take root and birth sprouts of doubt. This is, by the way, where Satan plays your curious nature best. He'll say, did God really say this? Or is this, uh, or here's how you'll think about it. You'll say, do I really believe this? Or did my pastor tell me I have to believe this? Or do I really believe this? Or did my wife tell me I have to do this? Or do I really believe this? Or do I just believe this because my parents made me believe this? You see, this is where the ride now, you've started to move. These questions now are, begin to plant seeds that eventually will sprout into doubt. 
And you'll begin to doubt that God said what he said and that you believe what you believe. Our culture is stuck here, casting dispersions and doubt on God's word. Jesus, by the way, um, Jesus handled this so well. And I want to use him as an example. In the wilderness, when he was tempted of the devil, do you know when he was tempted of the devil? Do you know what occurred right before that? Anybody know? His baptism. Jesus is baptized. Do you remember when he was baptized? Some pretty cool things happened. Do you remember what happened? John the Baptist baptized him, and what happened? The sky opened up, and a voice came. That's all right. And a voice came through, right? And whose voice was it? God the Father. And he said, this is my beloved, you have to say God's voice in a big voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? Confirmation of God. This is my son. God doesn't do that for everybody, right? Because this, Jesus, is God's son. And then something else happened. The dove came down, right? Like a dove, the Spirit of God, thank you, Brian. The Spirit of God comes down, fluttering down like a dove. So you have the confirmation of the Father. You have the confirmation of the Spirit. You have the confession of the Son in baptism. We believe what God says is true, and God verifies that. And then right after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil three times. Do you know what every temptation had to do with? Simply this. Satan simply asked him three different ways. Are you sure? You're who you think you are? Isn't that weird that Jesus might be tempted to think he's not who he thought he was? All three times, the devil wanted Jesus to do his bidding, to surrender his identity in a way that the devil wanted his identity to be shown. Not in the way that God planned for it, to go through the cross, but in a different way. The first time it happened was in Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came and said to him, here we go, here's the question. Where's the question? You see it there? If you are son of God. I mean, we all believe this, right? You went through your baptism and like everybody heard the voice and so, okay, we all believe this. But if you are the son of God, let's play a game. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Is there sin there? Nope. Jesus can make stones into bread. Sure he can. The sin would be to obey the voice of the devil, to do something that the devil said and said, and in his plan, show his identity instead of God's plan that would take him to the cross. Something as simple as turning stone into bread. And eventually, by the way, these temptations got bigger and bigger until it's like, throw yourself off this cliff and the angels will come and they'll bear you up and everybody who's in the Temple Mount will see it and they'll declare you as a son of God and you don't have to go to the cross. But it began with this really simple question. Do you know, by the way, how Jesus answered the devil every time in the wilderness? <laughs> uh, it's so good. It's so Sunday school. <laughs> the devil begins everyone. If you're really the son of God, then do this. And Jesus answered in Matthew 4.4, 4, but Jesus answered, it is written. I want you to read this with me, would you? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know what he said? What he said there is, I believe that what God says is true. I believe that what God gave us in his word, by the way, that you're holding on your lap is absolutely true. Jesus uses a Sunday school answer to get rid of the devil. And what's a Sunday school answer? God said it, I believe it. Joseph and Jesus did the same thing. They had de determined what they believed before they got into the temptation. If you get past step two, step three, you're definitely done for. Step three is the explicit lie. Satan will come to you and he will tell you things that are absolutely not true and you know they're not true and he did that with Eve. He said to Eve, you will not surely die. Consider alternate routes, he would say to us today. Consider that there's more to the story that God is telling you. Oh, you're gonna die, but maybe there's more. Maybe God's holding back something from you, and this is the death blow. If you cannot discern truth, you will believe error. 
And by this time you get to the explicit lies where Satan belches lies on you every single day. And if you fail at one and you fail at two, you lose the misleading lie, you miss it. And you fall into the doubting lie. Maybe that's not really true. And you get to the explicit lie, there you will fall. You'll start believing Satan's lies. Many people are here. Pilate was here. Can you imagine being Pilate when Jesus was gonna be sent to the cross? Pilate looked at Jesus and he said, what is truth? No idea. And that's where our world lives. God has preserved truth for us. He gives truth to his church. He gives truth to us today. He preserves it and saves it for us so we don't get to step number three. In fact, he prays for us. I don't know if you know this, but in John 17, verse 16, he says to God the Father, praying for you in this church today. They are not of the world, us. We are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he prays, sanctify them, his church, us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust in any frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Step four. This is where not only you believe the lie, but this is where you begin to promote the lie. This is the enabling lie that Satan knows he's got you, and this, this is the final step. He says to Eve, here's a replacement for what you thought you thought was truth. Here's the real truth. God knows that when you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. This is the enabling lie. This is implicit rebellion. This contradicts God directly every time. Satan will say to you, all right, I got you beyond the misleading lie. I got you to doubt. I got you to, to kind of believe that there might be another idea. And here's the idea. God's holding something back from you. This is where our culture lives. Our world has forsaken the truth of God. Our world has replaced the truth of God with lies. Uh, so for anything you believe about the Bible, there's a replacement for you to believe in the world, in culture. God says this would happen in Romans 1.24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, get this now, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. If you look at our world today and you think to yourself, why is it in the condition that it's in? Why is it sexually out of control? Here's why. Because they have gotten to step number four and they are not only happy believing Satan's lies, but they've replaced the truth with those lies. They've called those lies true. These are the tricks Satan will use against you. And he will get you to go where he wants you to go. Which brings us to signpost number four. Your enemy has a destination in mind for you. He wants you somewhere. That's why he schemes against you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's seen a lot of you before. And his goal is not just to wreck your life, it's to get you to do what he wants you to do. Like Jesus in the wilderness. He has a destination in mind. Satan leaves, leads Eve down this path in her innocence, like Siri directing me down the back country until I ended up in a field. I'm looking at Siri and I'm looking at my steering wheel and I'm looking at, at, at the world around me. I'm thinking to myself, where in the world am I? And pulling this field, I'm looking up, I'm going, this is nowhere I'm supposed to be. Satan will lead you down a path if you're willing to walk it and he'll take you to a destination he already has in mind for you. We don't know where, here, listen to this. Where did Eve have this conversation with, with the devil? In the garden, but we don't know where. Did they start this conversation in her home? Where she was staying? Did they start this conversation when she was out in the field working? Did they, where did they start this conversation? We don't know. We assume it's at the tree, but that's just an assumption. We're not told. All we know is that wherever she was, Satan came to find her, started the conversation wherever she was, and led her down with her questions these, this path. 
He begins asking her questions and shows she begins to answer. What do I really believe about this command? It's like they're walking and talking. Am I, am I believing the truth? There's, is there only one truth? Maybe I don't know what I think that I actually know. Maybe, maybe it is more than just the rules that I have to follow. Maybe Adam and God are plotting something against me. I mean, Adam was the one that gave me the rules. I didn't have this conversation with God, he did. So maybe Adam's not telling me the whole truth. And questions and questions and lies and lies until she finally finds herself standing at the foot of the tree. Because the next verse says, when she saw the tree was good for food. Where was she standing now? Right at the tree. Don't know where she started, but she followed that path, the breadcrumbs that devil laid down for her until she was at the foot of the very place she could rebel. Right where Satan needed her to be. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. All good things, she thought. She took of its fruit, and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Who was with her? Haven't heard that before. She's carrying on the conversation with the devil. We know that. She ends up standing at the foot of the tree. We know that, but all of a sudden now, Adam, we find, follows the path right along with her. Last point. God has proved as a truthful father. Unfortunately, in this case, everything God said would happen, happened. God told Eve the truth, there would be fallout, and that fallout was much greater than she could have ever imagined it would be. What's the first thing that they did? As Soon as they ate the apple, they realized that they were naked and they ended up hiding from each other, verse seven, and the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Do you know why that's such a bad verse? We're so used to clothing ourselves, I'm not saying anything about that aspect of things. It's good that we're all clothed this morning, but the last verse of chapter two, do you know what the last verse of chapter two said? It said, Adam and Eve were both naked and they were not ashamed. And the first thing that happens when they fall into sin is they look at each other in the eyes and for the first time, they're ashamed. And so they hide. Once they were pure, vulnerable, and transparent with each other and now they hide. Not only do they hide from each other, they also hide from God, verse eight. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This assumes that they're used to hearing the voice of the Lord God or the sound of the Lord God in the garden. Isn't that cool? Have you ever heard the sound of somebody? We don't know if God was whistling or if he was singing or if he was calling to them. They didn't hear his voice, they heard his sound. Isn't that interesting? Maybe he was just heavy-footed, I don't know. But they heard the sound of him in the garden and they recognized the sound. And whereas before it didn't scare them, they would run to it, it would, they would accept it. For the first time after they hid from each other, who now did they hide from? They hid from God. The sound of God scared them. Ashamed in front of each other and scared of God. Sin always causes shame deep down inside, like an alcoholic hides his vodka. We come up with creative ways to hide our sins from ourselves, from other people around us, and we, do, we, we convince ourselves we can hide our sin from God. And we can't, so Jesus comes to shine a light in our, our lives, shine his light in our lives, and that demonstrates that we are sinners. In fact, he talks about in John three, this is the judgment, light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because why? Their works were evil. Who likes to have light shine in evil works? Not me. I'd rather hide them in a closet. Not only did they hide from each other and they hide from God, but they also turned on each other. Verse nine, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so God got them to admit, each one of them, where they were. He knew where they were hiding. God, God knew everything that had just occurred. 
but he needed them to see what had happened. He needed them to admit it. So verse 11, he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He got them to admit what they had done. Admit who they were talking to. Who you were talking to? There was only the two of them in the garden. <laughs> to admit their own rebellion. God got them to admit, do you remember what I commanded you? I told you not to eat from this tree. Did you eat from this tree? And he got like a talking to a child. What did you do? Tell me what you did to your sister. I need to know all the details. Tell me all the details. Verse 12, the man said, the woman. <laughs> Does this sound familiar, guys? The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Who did Adam, Adam blame? Who else did Adam blame? Why? God gave him the woman. You gave me a flawed partner. So if you ever go home and think to yourself, God gave you a flawed partner, I want you to hear this verse coming out of your mouth. There's not one person in here that's not flawed, by the way. Every one of us is. But God makes broken things better, whole, good, righteous, holy, pure. Adam blamed the woman. Adam blamed God. And who did the woman blame? She can't blame Adam. She can't blame God. They're already taken. So who does the woman blame? The serpent. And who put the serpent in the garden? So who did they blame? And every time we are dissatisfied with life that God gives to us and we complain and we bicker and we moan, every time we do way down at the bottom, we are blaming the one who gave us life to begin with. You don't like your life? The Bible says, in everything, give God thanks. Do you want to know why? Because your nature is to blame him for everything else. When you learn to give God thanks in every circumstance, you will eradicate this kind of language from your vocabulary. So the bottom line is this. <laughs> Forgive the pun. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> you like that? Do you know what that means? That means we begin to look like who we believe. If you believe God, you will be created in an image of God from day to day. The Bible says you'll be looking more like Jesus Christ on a daily basis. If you believe God in his word and you follow Jesus Christ, he is renewing an image of his son in you. You have the ability to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ on this planet. You are a renewed image of God. Old things are gone. All things are new. But you have another choice. You can believe your father, the devil. That's rough, isn't it? If we believe and live under the father of lies, we become far more susceptible to live out his lies. We buy it hook, line, sinker. Some of Satan's greatest lies are this. I deserve this. After my week, I deserve this. Is it right? I don't care. I deserve this. These kids are going to be just fine. That is a lie. After all, after Adam and Eve blew it, Cain and Abel were just fine. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's a lie that's been from the beginning, too. You make decisions that go against God's command for you, your kids are not going to be fine. They just aren't. God's grace is going to have to do a huge work in their lives to preserve them. And he can do it. But your decisions to live in sin have got to help the process by getting out of sin and re rejecting it. Another popular lie, this won't hurt anyone. <laughs> this won't hurt anyone. Sure it will. It's already hurting you because you believe it. Another popular lie, it's just sex. I hate to bring that one up because it almost sounds crass. Sex has a place in our lives and it's meant for the avenue of marriage. Like we talked about last week, it is not your identity. Your identity is God. You're in the image of God. Sex has a place in your life, but it falls under 
this idea, this aspect of marriage. That's the only place it goes. Abortion is my right. (laughs) If you're an American, you've heard that a lot of times because the Supreme Court tells you it's your right. Well, if you wanna believe the Supreme Court, you go that way. I'm gonna go with God. Better to obey God than man. Another lie, my situation is unique. (laughs) No, it's not. Your situation is not unique. The aspects of what happens in your life and how they fall into place might be, might be unique-like, but you're tempted just like everybody else. You're weak just like everybody else, and your command to follow God is just like everybody else. The overarching lie in all of these things is that if you believe any of those lies that I just said, and there's a lot more, but if you believe any of those lies, the underlying principle of all of those is this, and tell me if this sounds familiar. I can believe this because God is holding out on me. He has not given me what I deserve. So therefore, abortion is my right. It's just sex, this won't hurt anyone. I deserve this after my week, fill in the blank. See, dissatisfaction with God will lead us down all of these wonderfully creative paths that the devil would have us go. Not only that, we gather in groups and we believe like we do because it's much easier to do bad things when you're surrounded by people who will do it with you. And when we really blow it and we can't hide it anymore, we can always fall on the fail-safe, which is the devil made me do it. Yeah. But that is not true either. Because did the devil make Eve sin? No. Adam? No. You? Nope, every choice is yours. Eve was led into this layer of deceit because she followed the breadcrumbs that Satan laid down for her to follow. Are you sure you heard what you think you heard? Did you understand God correctly? Do you think that God's holding back something from you? And she followed the breadcrumbs until she was way off course. And I want you to know that over time, Satan's lies are always exposed. God has always proven truthful. The more we know the truth, the stronger we are to overcome the devil. You wanna be successful in this life? Know the truth. Here's a verse I leave with you. Little children, 1 John 4, 4. You are from God and have overcome them. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Isn't that great? Your enemy may be strong, but if you know Jesus Christ, you're stronger. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. That's what they're used to. But we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know that the spirit of truth, we can identify the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Read God's word, know God's word, believe God's word, use God's word. Satan's promises feel good now, but they kill us later. God's promises are difficult now sometimes, but they give us life later on. So who are you believing right now? Are your beliefs helping or hindering your life? Do your beliefs about blank make your faith stronger or raise more questions? Satan will plot a course out for you as long as you're willing to travel and one day you'll look up and you'll be somewhere you never thought you'd be. Kill it now. Let's pray.